That patient going into surgery and coming out of surgery wants to live. And they don't want to be coddled like a person who can't make any kind of changes. When a patient understands that there are diet and lifestyle changes that can open those arteries back up and help you to live and help you to not have a heart attack, patients are in. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Jackson, Mississippi, Stockton, California, and Mumbai, India. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 60 of season 5, number 359 overall. Sadly, in the U.S., someone has a heart attack every 40 seconds. And just as an unhealthy diet can put you at risk for having one, a healthy diet can really drop your risk, even going so far as to help reverse heart disease in a lot of cases. So as we raise our health IQ today, our goal is to give you the tools that you need to get your heart functioning up to 100%. And we're going to be learning the foods that can help prevent and reverse heart disease, as well as some other tips and keeping your heart beating healthfully and happily, even if you've been on a fast food binge for decades and your arteries are all kinds of clogged up. Now, well, you may be thinking, well, how is this possible? How can you unclog an artery without surgery? How can you unclog it with food, with lifestyle changes? Well, despite the fact that researchers like Dean Ornish have known that this is possible for many years, a lot of people, most of us even, still have no idea. We still think about surgery and stents and pills, and those are the only options. But here today, to teach us a less invasive way and definitely more tasty one, is Dr. Neil Barnard. He joined me on the exam room live to talk all about that healthier way to eat and what a heart healthy diet actually looks like. We're going to scrutinize even one that's widely circulated and promoted as being heart healthy, but really it's not. And we're also going to be getting into the traps that you should be looking out for that are in this minefield that we call the standard American diet. How you can take a healthy food and really turn it into one that's going to do a lot of damage. So we're going to learn the good and the bad together. And we're also going to open up the doctor's mailbag, take some questions from the exam roomies who joined us live on YouTube and on Facebook. Questions from Timmy, wondering whether red meat was more likely to cause heart disease than chicken, and Alicia, who was wondering about how long it might take to be able to reverse heart disease, and from Baker, who was wondering about avocados, and even though they don't have cholesterol, could they still cause heart disease because they're loaded with fat? We're going to get the answers to all of those questions and a lot more. And as a reminder, you can always join us live on Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for the exam room live. We do this over on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Would love to see you there. But before we start our show here today, I need to say a huge thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for their support of the exam room live and the Physicians Committee. That support is helping to 
raise our health IQs and makes this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations just like ours that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Sir, it's so very good to see you. Great to be here, Chuck. Dr. Barnard, let's start with this. I I was pulling some stats before the show and found that somebody will die from cardiovascular disease every 34 seconds. That's almost 700,000 people every single year, and 800,000 people will have a heart attack. So how many of these cases can be prevented? The vast, you know, what an important question, Chuck. The vast majority can be prevented. And what really is troubling is if you could look inside the hearts of kids in high school, you start to see the beginnings of artery disease in those kids at the at this very early age. They're not going to have a heart attack when they're 18 or 20, but the process has begun. It's sort of like if a kid starts smoking at 12 or 14 years of age, you know, they're not going to get lung cancer right away, but it'll happen later. So the, the process is there. But the good news is that it's largely related to what I'm going to call environmental issues, the, the environment of your plate, <laughs> what you're eating, and also the environment of um, whether you're having cigarettes. Uh, th- those are really the big drivers of it. And, and the good news is that we can control those. I want to pull up a video of what a clogged artery actually looks like. This is a pretty good, accurate representation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. So what actually is going on here? What is that little deposit that seems to be stuck to the bottom? Okay, Um, we have arteries that go to all the parts of our body. You have arteries that go to your brain to give oxygen and and nutrients to your brain, but you also have them going to your heart. And they're called coronary arteries. They got that name because they they crown the heart. They go on the the upper surface of the heart. And so somebody called them coronary arteries. All it means is that these are little arteries that are giving oxygen to your heart muscle. And over time, let's say I've been eating some chicken and fish and beef and eggs and dairy products. These are animal products. They've got cholesterol in the food. And those cholesterol particles end up in my blood. They irritate the artery wall and the artery wall forms what looks like just what you showed um, in uh, in the video. It looks kind of like almost um, what could you call it? Sort of a growing scar or a blister. It's this growth. The technical term is an atherosclerotic plaque, but it's in the artery wall and it's cutting off the 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 the, the opening of the coronary artery so less blood gets through. And the bad thing is, at some point that blister is going to break. It pops open just like a blister can. When that happens, the blood around it will clot. And that's just like a cork in a bottle and that stops blood flow. So the the whole part of the heart that was getting oxygen from that one artery, it's got no oxygen anymore. You've got a matter of minutes before that heart muscle starts to die. And that's what we call a heart attack. The doctors call it a myocardial infarction, but it's, it's a heart attack. It just means a chunk of the heart muscle has died. And that's the process that people have in store if we follow unfortunately, the things that are common in our culture, which is meat eating and smoking. Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's scary stuff to look at there to see that visualized what's actually going on inside of a person's body there. 
And you just said the vast majority of these cases are preventable, but it was just this week that some new statistics, some projections were put out um, that, that looked at the trends on where we might be going in terms of our overall health. And between the year 2025, so just a few years away, and the year 2060, they're projecting uh, heart disease cases to increase by 31%, heart failure by 33%, myocardial infarctions, we're talking about 30%. Strokes even 34%. You hear statistics like that as a physician, knowing that so many of these cases are preventable, that's got to evoke some pretty strong emotion. It, it means the message hasn't really gotten through. People have learned about smoking. You know, back when I was in medical school, even, even we medical students smoked. Well, people have gotten the message. Most people have quit, not everybody, but most. That's been a good thing. But with regard to um, all the other things, um, what we're eating, Cheese intake, people, cheese is one of the um, highest saturated fat foods. It causes your cholesterol to rise. Cheese intake is going up and up and up. Bacon is going up, sausage, all of these things that are contributing to these problems are sort of fads and people laugh it off. You can go into any Denny's, IHOP, you name it, and you see people putting on their plates the very foods that are causing this problem. And so we've really got two things. One is some people really don't understand Chuck, what you and I are, are talking about, they don't know what causes heart disease. But the other thing is you get a big lag between knowing something and acting on it. We knew that, that smoking caused uh, lung cancer some years before we decided, okay, I guess that means me. Um, so all the statistics that you just presented are people who could prevent this from happening if they were to act on it now. And act on it means getting the animal products off their plate and making other, other changes that we could talk about too. It's not just getting the animal products. Oh, we're going to cover a lot. We've got plenty of time here today. Before we get to uh, the foods that you just hinted at that can uh, help really prevent this unhealthy trend here and really improve uh, our, our heart function here, I want to go a little bit deeper and take a question from Janet and talk about the, the other foods. You just said the animal products that can help contribute to heart disease. But Janet is wondering, what are the other foods that are most likely to cause heart disease? So are there some specifics there? Like who are the real, real demons within that animal? food category. Okay. Uh, for, well, first of all, even let's take an even wider lens. It's not all diet. You remember when Dean Ornish showed that he could tackle all the things, lifestyle things that were contributing, diet was one. The next part was smoking. You do have to put out the cigarettes. Um, physical activity is helpful. And it doesn't mean you have to be going to the gym every day, but a half hour brisk walk each day, something like that was helpful. And also dealing with stress. Um, these things interact because if you're stressed, you don't eat so well. If you're stressed, you might be having a harder time giving up smoking. So these things work together. Within the diet, uh, the biggest source of saturated fat, bad fat, is dairy. Why am I saying that? Because all those particles of cholesterol that are clogging the artery, the more of this bad fat that you eat, the more the cholesterol particles form. So saturated fat, that's the fat that's solid at room temperature. Like, you know, cheese, cheese is not something you can just pour into a glass. Cheese is a chunk of solid fat. Uh, bacon grease. Those foods are high in saturated fat. Those are the worst of the worst. Uh, but lest, some, lest someone think, oh, well, I could have salmon or I could have uh, chicken. These are animal products. They still have saturated fat in them. Give you a number. Uh, beef, beef fat is about 50% saturated fat and 50% other kinds of fat. For chicken, it, it puts that number down to about 30. So about 30% of the fat in chicken even, even without the, the skin, 
it is still that bad saturated fat. If it's olive oil, it's about 14%. So you, you see the idea. Um, Chinook salmon, surprisingly high in saturated fat. People think, well, it's got omega-3. It does, but that's not most of it. It's also got the bad fat too. So animal products are a big problem. But one, let me, let me raise an alarm here, Chuck. Um, we talk to a lot of people who are going to plant-based diets. Great idea. But there are marketers trying to target these people with products that are less healthy. Uh, foods that have coconut oil in them or palm oil. Those are saturated fats too. So those are things that I would avoid completely. If you pick up... Um, a frozen pizza or some salad dressing or something like that, or peanut butter, look at the label. If it says palm oil or coconut oil, put it back on the shelf. Those are foods that are very high in saturated fat. They'll raise your cholesterol. That's interesting. And um, Baker has a question kind of along those lines. A smart person here uh, wants to know, even though an avocado doesn't necessarily have cholesterol because it's a plant food, it still is high in fat. Is that something that may contribute to heart disease? Okay, we're giving out PhDs in nutrition today. <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay, uh, you're thinking right. Avocados are a plant. They don't have cholesterol, but they do have a lot of fat. It's a, you know, almost all fruits are low fat. The avocado is an exception. Avocados and coconuts. The type of fat in an avocado is not as bad as the type of fat in dairy products or meat. Um, it's mostly what we call monounsaturate. That's the kind that's in canola oil or olive oil. Um, but there are substantial traces of saturated fat in there too. What does that mean? An avocado is less likely to raise your cholesterol than beef fat or chicken fat would be, but it will raise it more than, than it would if you just didn't have the avocado at all. So it's part of the, it's still part of the problem, but not as bad as the animal products. The other piece of it is, is if you're trying to lose weight and weight is contributing to your risk, avocados have all that fat, good fat can can add to your thighs and your abdomen, just like the bad fat can. So if you're trying to lose weight, I would get away from them. All right. So ease off the guacamole there for a little bit. If you're sorry to break your heart. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about a lot of the things that contribute. Uh, we're kind of tiptoeing around the foods though, that can help uh, prevent and even reverse heart disease in a lot of cases. Janet is wondering if you can give us some more specifics there. Sure. Um, okay. I mentioned Ornish's four steps, plant-based diet, exercise, don't smoke, try to deal with stress. Um, but then uh, David Jenkins at the University of Toronto came up with a really interesting thing. He said, wait a minute, it's not just let's go vegan. That's good. Let's do that to get away from the animal products. But are there certain foods that have what I'm going to call special effects? And he developed a portfolio of foods that he found especially helpful. And among them are foods that are particularly high in soluble fiber. Uh, oats, for example, if you stir up but, well, let's say, let's say you pour some breakfast cereal and it's corn flakes or wheat flakes. They, they don't dissolve in the milk or the almond milk, hopefully, or soy milk or whatever. They, they might get soggy, but they're still there. If you make oatmeal, it just kind of dissolves into mush. The fact that it's totally dissolves means it's soluble fiber and oats and also beans are rich in the soluble fiber that lowers cholesterol in addition to the fact that it doesn't have any cholesterol or very little saturated fat. So oats, beans, those are special effect foods that you can add. Um, nuts may have a little bit of this effect, but they also are fatty, so they interfere with efforts to try to lose weight. Uh, another one is soy products. For reasons we haven't been able to figure out, soy products will knock cholesterol down a little bit too. 
over and above the fact that they don't have cholesterol and don't have any animal fat. So those are some special effect foods that you can add in or, or really emphasize. But the real key is simplicity. When you're planning your plant-based diet, the more it's foods you can recognize. Here's my green beans, here's my corn, here's my rice, as opposed to foods that are processed where fatty things sneaked in in the factory. The more it's simple, the better off you're going to be. All right, let's give an exam roomy shout out to uh, Northwest Back Countries joining us today. Uh, said uh, they went whole food plant-based, lost 50 pounds already this year, still have another 40 to go, also quit smoking, and they're using a treadmill desk. So you hear those things combined, all of the changes that Northwest Backcountry has made this year. How much healthier would you say their heart is here today compared to January 1st? Oh, dramatically. Um, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn showed that when people make changes, you know, you throw out the animal products, you keep oils really low, you follow a healthy diet. Um, some people become practically bulletproof. Now, I don't want to overstate it. We still want to make sure that we're getting medical examinations and that kind of thing. But heart disease is not something that's inexorable. It's, it's not necessarily progressive. It can be reversed. And the kinds of changes that you've made are fantastic. All right, Timmy's got a follow-up. We were talking about red meat versus chicken, and there being a little bit less fat in chicken compared to red meat. Uh, Timmy wants to know then, does that mean that red meat is more likely to contribute to heart disease than chicken? Yeah, I think you can say yes, but it's sort of like a, a cigarette without a filter. Is that worse than a cigarette <laughs> with a filter? Yeah, I guess so, in theory. But y believe me, um, cemeteries are filled with people who had heart attacks eating chicken. Um, Chicken is not a health food. Chicken is a dead bird, just like beef is a dead cow. It's, it's not, it, it is not asparagus, is my point. Um, it has cholesterol. It's got saturated fat in it. It has no fiber. Um, and, and this is where medicine, I think, really made a wrong turn. Um, back a generation ago, they said, well, if you've got heart disease, why not just um, switch from beef to chicken, take the skin off your chicken? And what they found was that didn't really lower cholesterol very much. And so then patients would go back to the doctor and say, I did what you said, but the diet was a failure. The diet doesn't try, or the doctor doesn't try a vegan diet, which has no cholesterol in it, because that will really not knock the, the cholesterol out. Back in those days, uh, the doctors would just give up. And they'd say, well, I guess you need medicine. Let me put you on a, a medication. And, and once you're on a statin, doctors are very reluctant to, to stop it. The wrong turn we made was we used a diet that was too weak. Switching from beef to chicken, beef to fish, doesn't really do it. And the real proof of this is with a Mediterranean diet. When researchers have tested a Mediterranean diet, which really is not a beefy diet. In fact, it's not even very dairy rich. A little bit of those, but mostly it's uh, fish, and vegetables and fruits, olive oil instead of butter. But those changes are halfway changes too. They haven't really gotten the animal products out. And with a Mediterranean diet, the risk of having a, a coronary event, a cardiovascular event, it's reduced some, but not dramatically. It's, it's nothing like what Dr. Ornish achieved or what Dr. Esselstyn achieved. So a plant-based diet is, is really the diet of choice. And a Mediterranean diet is, is to call it a halfway measure, in my view, is generous. 
So here's an interesting question. When you're talking about the amount of fat that's in, again, going back to chicken here, I would assume that that is just an analysis of a raw piece of chicken, right? But most people don't eat raw chicken. Uh, a lot of people, particularly in this country, eat fried chicken. So when you're frying something on top of the fat that the food already contains, what's the net effect there? Right. Uh, well, first of all, if you ate it even just baked without adding any fat, you're still getting a lot of fat in it. Let's say I take some chicken. I throw away all the dark meat. I, th I even throw away all the skin and all I've got is some white meat chicken there. It's still 23% of its calories are fat, animal fat, even before you add any to it. But but check your scenario. Okay, wait a minute. If I throw that in the fryer, you know, I batter it up. I throw it in the fryer. Yeah, it adds a whole lot of fat to it. Now the fryer grease, it may be saturated or it may be trans fats or whatever it is. Um, in no case is it healthy. And same effect if you take a perfectly healthy potato, you chop that up, you make either French fries or potato chips, you fry those, suddenly that healthy potato, not so healthy anymore. That's right. You know, in fact, a potato is really a very low calorie food until it comes out of the oven. And then the butter goes on and the sour cream and the cheese doodles and the bacon bits and all that stuff. <laughs> and and that's, that's where the calories are. They're, they're really in the toppings. Now, with animal products, it's different because the, the breading and the frying, that, that adds to the problems, but the animal products itself, in tr they always have cholesterol. Cholesterol is actually a sort of a molecular hinge. The animal muscle in say a cow's muscle, the muscles allow them to move their legs around or move their tail. And the muscles have cholesterol particles in them. The, the cholesterol is a little bit of kind of a hinge in the muscle that helps the, the, the muscle fibers. Uh, to be flexible, the, the cellular membranes to be flexible. And that's true in a chicken, the, the muscles that control a chicken's wings or a chicken's legs, or a fish. The fish is going to move their tail around. They're not plants. Plants don't use cholesterol. They don't have it. It's a different biology, but animals do. So if you're eating animal products, whether it's fish, chicken, beef, pork, anything, they've got cholesterol in them. Uh, let's take a question from Janice. She's wondering uh, if there have been any studies or any research done on the role that maybe refined sugar may play in contributing to heart disease, or is refined sugar kind of like that Trojan horse that you've referred to it as with diabetes? Yeah, I think it's a little bit mixed. Overall, I think sugar has been kind of a whipping boy um, in that people want to blame it for issues. Oh, it was the sugar that that's going to cause all these problems. So let me eat my grilled cheese sandwich. Um, it's got to be the sugar that's the problem, um, or you're eating chicken nuggets, but it's the sugar in the soda that causes weight gain. In that sense, the sugar was mostly an innocent bystander. Um, however, there are a couple of issues. One is the Trojan horse that you mentioned. The, people remember the myths of the Trojan horse and the, you know, the horse was brought in uh, inside the, 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 the fort gates and out came all the soldiers to do the damage. Um, if you have a, a sugary cookie, um, the sugar lures you in, but all that butter or the, the shortening inside, that's going to be the part that fattens you up, really. The, well, that's where the densest calories are. I don't mean to say the sugar is health food, but but it's it's really just, it gives it the taste and it's the fat inside that's the bigger problem. Now, one other thing, let's say a person eats a lot of sugar. Um, the, at first, the sugar just goes to power your brain. I mean, glucose is what your brain uses as a fuel, so no big deal. It powers your muscles, it powers your other cells. So sugar in that sense is good. But if you consume much more than your body can actually use, your body stores it. And it'll first store it in a pretty good place. It'll store it in your muscles as glycogen. And it's there waiting for you to run your next marathon. 
it puts some glycogen in your liver, that's all good. But eventually the sugar can build up and it'll, uh, your, your liver can take that sugar and say, I don't know what to do with this, I'll turn it into fat. And you can, you can push fatty liver with a very high sugar intake. So bottom line, sugar is not the big issue for most people, but in excess, it can be a problem. Uh, Eleanor, brass tacks, kind of a question here, wants to know how effective is this healthy whole food plant-based diet compared to traditional treatments for heart disease? Oh, what a great question. Um, well, there are different kinds of traditional treatments. So maybe let's go through them. I already mentioned that a Mediterranean diet, a Mediterranean diet is attractive. People like the sound of it. You know, you have a glass of red wine at sunset. Um, so it's an easy thing to, for doctors to prescribe to, to patients who try it. The problem is that, 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 first of all, people don't lose weight with it at all. Our team has, has put it to the test and others have too. It just doesn't cause weight loss. Why? Because you're eating chicken and fish, fatty fish, olive oil. The calories just don't drop and people don't lose weight like they do with the vegan diet. Cholesterol levels don't fall either. Um, really not at all with a, a typical Mediterranean diet. However, it will reduce the risk of a, cord, uh, a cardiovascular event, like a stroke or heart attack, slightly, not dramatically. Um, uh, some of the other con conventional treatments, if, if you have a high cholesterol and you take a statin like Lipitor, it'll work. It will lower your cholesterol, it really will. The issue is that that's all it does. It won't lower your blood pressure. It won't make your diabetes any better. Um, it won't help you lose weight. In fact, statins cause a slight increase in the risk of getting diabetes and a slight increase in body weight. So, you know, statins have a role, but it's not, it's, it's not uh, enough uh, for us. Um, looking at the other end of the spectrum, what really works well? I mentioned Caldwell Esselstyn, and he published a wonderful article um, in the Journal of Family Practice. He looked at 198 people who followed really simple steps, getting the animal products off your diet, keeping oils scrupulously low, having a lot of healthy natural foods, a lot of greens, broccoli and asparagus, and bringing them into your diet. Now, these aren't automatic for people, so they need a little bit of education, some support, but people can do it. What he found is that by and large, people did it. And among the people who did it, the risk of any kind of recurrent problem was less than 1%. Um, so in other words, it is, clearly the treatment of choice. Plant-based diet, get rid of the oils. If you do all that stuff and you still have a high cholesterol, your doctor could prescribe a statin if you feel that's important, but the foods are really where it's got to start. Oh, by the way, um, if let's say you're sitting in the exam room and the doctor is talking to you about surgery. You got blocked arteries. You need a coronary artery bypass graft. There are, there are cases where that's essential. It's life-saving. However, um, within the first year, maybe 20, 25%, maybe up to 40% of um, bike bypasses fail. And by about five to 10 years, about half of them fail, which means you do the surgery again. Um, so we have, to, we, we have to think about the drivers of this and the drivers of this are the things that are on our plates. Would I be correct in assuming here that such a high percentage of those surgeries fail because the patient is not making changes that would, uh, you know, prevent the calcification, the, the clogged arteries from building back up? Yes, Chuck, it, I gotta tell you, it, it's heartbreaking. The patient might follow the doctor's advice and even follow the doctor's example. Um, 
But when the patient wakes up from surgery, what arrives in the hospital is uh, a tray of foods, exactly like the foods that cause the heart disease in the first place. Um, hospitals are still serving bacon and sausage and meat and a plant-based diet is increasingly available, but doctors, and, and many doctors are promoting it very much, but there are still many who are, who are not. And there are many who still imagine that heart disease is something you got because you're old. Um, it's not, it's, it is a disease that comes from, from food drivers. It's just like uh, overweight um, or diabetes. These things are, can be two-way streets, but they, it cannot reverse without some support and some guidance and some education. You know, it's funny you you mentioned that about hospital foods. I was just doing an interview that will be released here uh, next week uh, with one of the presenters at our international conference on nutrition and medicine, and she was saying when her own father had a heart attack, she was just aghast to go into his hospital room and see a cheeseburger on his plate, and and it's just like her mind was absolutely blown. And there is that major disconnect still between what's on your plate and what's happening in your arteries. And, you know, I, I, I just think that it, it, it speaks volumes that that sort of thing is happening at a hospital. And so few people are talking about that, which goes to the importance of our healthy hospitals program. It sure does. And, and some people have the sort of a charitable idea that, that, that is not founded, that the charitable idea is, my patient is suffering. He's just had surgery. He needs, uh, we, this is not a time to enforce dietary changes. Let me tell you something. That patient going into surgery and coming out of surgery wants to live. And they don't want to be coddled like a person who can't make any kind of changes. A generation ago, everybody was realizing, I got to throw away the cigarettes. It's hard. There's withdrawal. You're over it in a couple of weeks. Fine. When a patient understands that there are diet and lifestyle changes that can open those arteries back up, and help you to live and help you to not have a heart attack. Patients are in, they want that. Um, they do need a pathway. They need a little bit of support and they need their questions answered and they need to, they need to also taste. Okay, you said that bean burrito is as good as the meat, meat taco, let me try it. You know, they, they need to try these things, but what they discover, and we see this in our research studies all the time and here at Barnard Medical Center too, that patients are thrilled. Um, it's absolutely life-changing to realize that healthy foods, foods that can, cause your body to, to rebound are also delicious foods and foods that work really, really well with people. And, and the one regret that people have is not having had this opportunity earlier in life. Because if kids were raised on really healthy foods and if the junk food was just not there, it would, it would have revolutionized the health, it, it would, the health of so many people. It would have prevented all of these, these problems, these heartbreaks. Important question here from Alicia, who's wondering how long on average does it take to reverse heart disease? Mm, great question. Well, first of all, what reversing heart disease means is those narrowings in the arteries. Those narrowings are, are the arteries are widening up so that more blood, more oxygen can get through. How quickly does that occur? Um, let me answer it this way. Um, back in 1990, Dean Ornish did a study which he published in The Lancet, where he showed that 82% of people who followed these recommendations had favorable changes in their angiograms, meaning the arteries are opening up. I had the opportunity to interview all of the patients in that study because I was studying the acceptability. How, how did you like it? Did you think this was worthwhile? And the first thing we found is that the patients loved it. I mean, they loved feeling better and, and losing weight, but all of the ones who had chest pain, which means that the arteries are narrowed. The chest pain was gone within about 
four to six weeks. So what that means is that when you make these changes within about a month or month and a half, the arteries are opening up enough that you're getting a surge of blood and oxygen so that that pain is just gone. Now, it's not, you're still fragile. Um, the, the reversal process is not finished and it's going to continue. And so when Ornish published his findings in Lancet in 1990, those were one-year findings. In 1998, he published the five-year findings. And it looks to me like although the reversal process starts with literally within the first couple of weeks, it doesn't complete um, or the reversal process continues well past the first year. So people keep getting better and better and better and better. And his five-year findings were that the, the, the complications were just way, way down compared to people who didn't make these changes. So it starts fast, but it's not done fast. It takes, it, it takes continue, uh, continuing time. Ooh, but uh, improvement uh, on the way almost immediately. And that's that's the important thing. You know, we talk about this on the show so often. It's like we live in an immediate payoff kind of society. We want it and we want it now. And so to know that even though you're not at the finish line day one, you know that you're taking big steps day one and, and things are starting to open up and your body's starting to repair itself day one. I think that that is incredible motivation for somebody who's looking to get on that healthier path. Absolutely. Well, you, you know, you can't feel the plaques in your arteries, but when the chest pain goes away, that means the, that means the arteries opened up enough that the heart muscle is now getting blood flow. One of the things that we see in our research studies uh, with guys, a guy might have diabetes or extra weight. When he goes on a vegan diet, the erectile dysfunction very often goes away. And the time frame for that is about three months, four months, something like that. So what that means is that the arteries in another part of his body are opening up enough that he's now getting good blood flow there. So those are the, that, that's where you can actually feel the artery changes in your body. And it's a gradual process, but it's relatively quick. Um, and, and these little changes have a huge effect. This will not be on the test. But in high school physics, they say that the flow through a vessel, like an artery, is proportional to the fourth power of the radius. What does that mean? That means that if the radius of that artery, if, if it opens up just a little bit, the blood flow opens up hugely. Um, and if it closes down a little bit, it, 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 it's, it's the opposite. So a little bit of reversal goes a long way to making you feel better. Uh, we've used the term clogged arteries. Uh, Sophia is bringing another one to the table. She's talking about calcification of the arteries, and she's wondering whether that can be reversed. So I guess, can we start with what is ar artery calcification? Sure. You, you've got the artery blockage that we talked about. It's, I described it as sort of a blister in the wall of the artery. What, what it really is, is the cholesterol particles have irritated the artery wall. And they're getting absorbed by white blood cells, and it's making this big mess. I'm going to call it a blister but it's a, mis, um, a mixture of fat and cholesterol and debris and some overgrowing muscle cells are, that are in there. And over time that will go away or, or improve a lot with the diet and lifestyle changes. In the meanwhile, while you're still having your cheeseburger and this is progressing, um, calcification can occur. What that means is that calcium deposits form either in that um, inner layer of the artery or in the muscle layer right under it. And those can build up over time and they can narrow the artery. However, our goal is typically not to try to make all that calcium go away. Our goal here is to just keep all of those plaques regressing and, um, and stable because what's gonna kill you is not that calcified artery typically. Um, what's gonna kill you is, is, is a, a plaque that bursts, it bursts open. 
and then that leads to um, uh, a thrombus or a blood clot, and that leads to the, the heart attack. All right, we have time for a few more questions here, so make sure to drop yours in the comment or in the chat. Uh, real quick, before we get to another question, let's uh, get a success story from Jill Erickson, 1217. Jill and her husband, Joel, are just incredible people. Um, went whole food plant-based in 2016 after Joel's widowmaker heart attack, she says. And Joel, get this, Dr. Barnard, most recently learned that his risk is now, in his words, quote, Zippo. Uh, he said that uh, he's now 0.3 and normal is one between one and three. So uh, what what do those, do well, first of all, that's awesome, Joel. Congratulations. Uh, but when he's talking about the risk being uh, 0.3, what does that number mean? Um, that means he's done, that means, well, first of all, congratulations, Joel and Jill. You are role models and everybody should be doing what you're doing. What it means is that the changes that you've made are working. It means they are doctors try to make these mathematical models of what's your risk in the future. And they do that so that they know what your risks are, but they also want you to know that your risks are enough uh, that you need to make changes. You've made those changes. Um, you've made those changes for yourself, for your family, and you, you, frankly, you're inspiring lots of other people to do what you're doing. So fantastic. A uh, question from uh, one is alone here, 1234. How much of this reversal, how much of this healing is dependent on getting your body back to a healthy weight? What would you say is the answer to that question? Getting your weight down is a good idea. Um, but the changes in your arteries occur even independent of losing weight. So what we've been talking about is a disease of the arteries. I know that's a funny thing to say. But if you were a little submarine going through the artery, what would you you'd see is these huge big blisters in the artery wall. That's what's shrinking. Because if it doesn't shrink, if it keeps growing, it narrows the passageway for blood and they can break open and cause a clot. So that's what we're talking about. The same diet changes you make will cause weight loss too. And the two will go concurrently. And then the, the more weight you lose, getting down toward a healthier weight, the better off you're gonna be because that in turn will bring your blood pressure down and bring inflammation down as well. Uh, Latoya is joining us a little bit late, but still an important question. We talked about this a little bit toward the beginning of the show, but she's wondering whether an unhealthy junk food uh, vegan diet can still cause heart disease. Uh, well, junk foods can do it. I, a, a vegan diet doesn't have any more junk food in it than a non-vegan diet. In fact, for the most omnivores are, you know, people might be eating burgers and things, and then they're eating the so-called junk foods, uh, potato chips and candy and all those kinds of things. But if, if you are following a vegan diet, vegan diet just means the animal products are gone. That's a huge step. That's great. Congratulations. But it's good to also take some additional steps too. And that is if things like potato chips and candy are still lingering in your diet, you'll want to get rid of those too. Um, and luckily, as time goes on, you'll find uh, really good replacements for all of them. All right, one more success story. This one from Pat. My husband has brought his cholesterol and blood pressure way down to normal following the Esselstyn diet. We're wondering how much fat from nuts like cashew cream is allowable to keep those numbers great just like they are. Oh, great question. Uh, first of all, um, with regard to nuts, there's, there's been an ongoing discussion about this. And I think, first of all, nuts do contribute to weight issues. Um, there are some scientists who want to try to make that go away. They really can't. If you're going to be eating a whole bunch of smokehouse almonds, your weight loss is not going to go so well because they're so high. They're so dense in calories. They really are. Um, most of the fat in the nuts is not saturated fat, but there is a little bit. So keeping the nuts low is a good idea. On the other hand, our Alzheimer's research friends say, wait a minute, nuts have vitamin E. 
and vitamin E is good. What's the answer? The answer for a typical healthy person is about an ounce. Uh, an ounce of nuts or sunflower seeds or something like that, that gives you a pretty good amount of vitamin E, vitamin e without the uh, overdose. And, and by the way, what an ounce is, it's the amount that's in the palm of your hand. You pour the sunflower seeds in your hand, in your palm. If it touches your fingers, that's more than an ounce. All right, final question. You just mentioned sunflower seeds. This one comes to us at 1232 from Jesse, uh, talking about different kinds of oils. She, uh, Jesse's wondering, is cooking with sunflower oil bad? Is that one of the oils that's on the Mediterranean diet? I wouldn't use any oils when you cook. Here's where we are. Okay, so the worst things are cooking with butter, cooking with cream. The animal products are high in saturated fat. Coconut oil, palm oil, terrible. Don't eat them in anything. Don't cook with them. Don't, don't use them for anything. You know, shine your shoes with them. That's it. Um, but then if you're using these liquid oils like corn oil, they're still very high in calories. And although they are lower in saturated fat, they still have traces. You don't need it. If you're sauteing something, saute it in vegetable broth, in water, or get yourself a good nonstick pan. Uh, if you have nightmares of the 1970s Teflon pans where it's like chipping off in, your, in the foods that you're cooking, the modern nonstick pans don't do that. They're really non-toxic. If you take good care of them, they're going to be fine. So it's really good to learn some non-oil cooking techniques and you'll be fine. All right, let's go ahead and close up that doctor's mailbag for today. If we didn't get to your question, have no fear. We will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. And Dr. Barnard, I feel like we only scratched the surface on everything that we could be talking about here today. Um, that's why I think it's really neat that Dr. Kim Williams, uh, who is a renowned cardiologist, has devoted his life to this. He's going to be joining us at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine coming up August 18th through the 20th. I know you you've got to be jazzed up to see his presentation. I got to tell you, it's going to be wonderful. Um, we are going to, you're absolutely right. There's so much more to talk about with heart disease. Dr. Dean Ornish will be with us with a presentation on the first day and we're getting extra real quality time with Dr. Williams. He's going to be our honoree on uh, Friday night at the dinner. He's giving a special uh, presentation there. And then Saturday morning, he's going to stick around and give us part two. So it is going to be a masterclass, uh, not just in heart disease, but in, in health overall. So it's been, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, he's already told me, I would love to stop by the uh, exam room booth and uh, sit down, record an episode at the conference as well. So the two of us are going to be doing that. If you're going to be there, join us live. It's going to be really just an incredible three days. Um, really amazing that uh, he's our honoree this year. Uh, I mean, just from his past appearances on the show, I'm always blown away by how much he knows. I mean, this man has forgotten more than any of us really tend to know. I mean, he's just, he's so, so good at what it is that he does and he's so passionate about it. Um, and if you would like to join us live in person, August 18th through the 20th in Washington, DC at the Grand Hyatt, there are still a few seats remaining, but I'm telling you, they are going fast. Limited seating this year, Dr. Barnard. That means that you need to book your seat today. Save one of the few that are remaining. You can do that at pcrm.org slash ICNM, pcrm.org slash ICNM, August 18th through the 20th at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine. And by the way, you talk about that dinner, that honors dinner Friday night, uh, the food that's going to be served all throughout the conference is from our Universal Meals Program, Dr. Barnard, and I have heard it is fantastic. Um, there, yeah, I, I haven't, I don't think I've told anybody about this yet. Um, David Kamen from the Culinary Institute of America 
in New York State is coming down. And he's talking about how they develop these foods. And there is, at the Grand Hyatt, they have hired a new French chef who, with whom we met just, yes, we, we, you've, you've got to see him, Chuck. He, he is out of this world excited about this, and he's preparing the whole menu. And we had a tasting. And it is going to be great. And I know it's funny to talk about a medical conference as actually having good food. People think it's like got to be hospital food. It's going to be out of this world. And the reason is that we're unveiling the Universal Meals Program. And so we want people to know about it. We want um, hospitals, airlines, businesses to get pumped up about Universal Meals. So it's going to be absolutely delicious. Yeah, I had not heard that. You are yeah. breaking some news here on the show today. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be very very special. We've been down there working with them. We've worked with them for oh, a better part of a decade, and then we had to take two years virtually because of the pandemic. But we're back now, and and it's gonna be better than ever. It's gonna we what you said is is right. We are greatly reducing the number of people we're gonna allow in because of social distancing and all that kind of stuff. But it's gonna be a, a terrific conference. All right, so lock in your spot today. You see the web address on the screen right there, pcrm.org, or you can click the link in the episode notes if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, also, Dr. Barnard can't wrap up today without also saying a huge thank you, as always, to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund for their continued support of the Exam Room Live and the Physicians Committee. It's, it's not only helping to raise our health IQs, uh, but it makes this very show possible and a lot of the work that we do at the Physicians Committee possible because the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations just like ours that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. Check this out right down this web address. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRiderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder spelled R-E-I T-E-R fund.org. As always, Allison and the gang there just continue to do work that just blows me away so beneficial. Um, and so if you would like to do that, subscribe to their newsletter, by the way, Dr. Barnard, I don't know if you've seen that, um, but they, they talk a lot about the contributions that they've made uh, to the Physicians Committee and uh, all the good that's come out of it in their newsletter. Allison is just so, so, so great at all of her support, just to continue that gratitude. Absolutely. Greg had such a heart and Allison does too. And, and it's really carried on of this spirit of, of kindness and compassion and, and, and education toward health and toward compassion for, that, uh, that, that Greg embodied so long. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Allison. And thank you, Dr. Barnard, for being here and helping to raise our health IQs today. You bet. My pleasure, Chuck. Dr. Will Bolsowitz will be back in the saddle for the next Exam Room Live. So set a reminder, mark your calendars for Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. Join us, ask your question live, hang out with the other exam roomies, and let's all raise our health IQs together. Also coming up on the Exam Room Podcast, a lot of great first-time guests coming up. I'm so excited for these guys. Dr. Gemma Newman will be here, Dr. Robin Chutkin, Dr. Megan Rossi, and Melissa Busta, who went from being a colleague of mine here at the Physicians Committee to completely devoting her life to fitness. Literally, she left to devote her life to fitness, and she just got her professional bodybuilder's card. This is what she does now. It's awesome. And all of her muscles are 100% plant built, my friend. <laughs> she has a really, really cool story. 
And what I'm really excited about is because she's worked in medicine, she can really break down for us everything that's going on inside of her body to make the outside of it super chiseled and super muscular. So definitely no meat for Melissa. But that is great news for her because freshly published research is again showing that red meat is one of the worst things that you can put into your body. And that research has a fresh figure on just how high risk that steak on your plate can be for heart disease. And we get details now at the exam room news desk. A long-term study shows that hazardous chemicals are created in the gut while digesting red meat. The chemicals are created by gut microbes and increase the risk for heart disease. In a study of nearly 4,000 adults over the age of 65, researchers discovered that the risk of heart disease jumps by 22% for each serving of red meat eaten every day. Those findings back up previous research on trimethylamine and oxide, or TMAO, that ties it to dangerous effects on your heart. And maybe we'll have more on this with Dr. Bolsowitz next week. You know, he is the king of gut microbes after all. And there's a link to that study right now in the episode notes. It was published by the American Heart Association. And you know, I go back to the numbers that Dr. Barnard and I were talking about at the beginning of the show, that someone somewhere in America is having a heart attack every 40 seconds. Well, that means that during our 43 minute and 21 second live broadcast, 65 people had a heart attack. 65. That is so sad. It's such a high number. But we can do something about it. We have the opportunity and the ability to cut that number way, way, way down. We learned about that today. So it is up to us, my friends. It's up to us to bring that number down. And that's why we need to spread this information as far and as wide as we possibly can. And one of the easiest ways that you can pitch into that effort is just by subscribing to the exam room podcast by the physicians committee if you haven't already done so and when you subscribe please also leave a five-star rating because every new subscription every new five-star rating really does help to get this information to those who need it the most it helps us climb just a little bit higher in the rankings and the closer you are to the top the easier it becomes for somebody in need to find this potentially life-saving information Links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify can be found right now in the episode notes and bonus points for you as well if you would be so kind as to leave a nice review. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and helping to raise our heart health IQs. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.